Well, tell your neighbor you're glad they came to church today. Actually, say, I made a mistake. I'm glad you came to the church building today. I mean, no, we are the church. Hey, I want to uh, honor a couple people before we start today. Um, first of all, uh, there's a picture on the screen. Mary Lou Taylor went to be with the Lord and had her uh, service yesterday, but she was a godly woman. And uh, from the first time I met her, you know, she, was, uh, uh, she never held a microphone, but she was serving people, loving people, providing food, caring, encouraging, and uh, I just want to celebrate her life with her family today. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. And I am in a generous mood, and I have a special gift I'd like to give someone today. You'd like it? Well, I was going to ask, it seems to be more fair if somebody's birthday. Anybody have a birthday today? Do I see a hand lifted? Oh, over there. Oh, a birthday girl. Why don't you stand up? Okay. All right. Now, look at... Look at the screen, and this is your birthday gift. So remain standing, and usher's going to come, get your car keys, and you can decide if you want them in the back seat or in the trunk. But in case you don't know, they build a nest in front of the church, and the game and fish people won't come get them, and we can't do anything about them. And the reason I bring it up is because they are not potty trained. So you have to be careful. There could be landmines when you walk in the building. And supposedly she's a, she, she gets in attack mode. So be careful. We don't have to worry about it anymore because you are taking them home today. Give her a big hand and have rescued the church. Well, if you've got your Bibles on something serious now, Psalm chapter 80. Psalm chapter 80, I want you to say these words out loud. They're from the inspired word of God. They're the cry of the psalmist from a time in Israel's history when she was tottering in her relationship with God, where she had somehow drifted from God. And these words were spoken and written to us. Revive us and we will call on your name. Let's say it together. Revive us and we will call on your name. <sighs> Revival, imagine a wilted plant that's dry and it's, you know, it's withering about to die and you put water on it, it brings life. What the psalmist is saying, God, if you would bring life to us, we would call on your name. If you would initiate something from heaven, we can't be going here and going there. We have to desire it. But if you would revive us, we would call on your name and it would change the spiritual atmosphere of our lives, our community and the world. Well, that's what we uh, started talking about last week, and I'm going to extend this another week. Um, last week, remember, we talked about the, the term a revival or a spiritual awakening, and I think they're different. How many know you can't revive a person that's lost? Now, the word lost is, is Christian terminology, but basically what it means, it's a person that's away from God. Our sin has separated us from God. When you're found or saved, it means that relationship has been restored because you believe and follow Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all of us were going astray at one time of our lives, but when we received Christ, then we were found or, or, or we were saved. A spiritual awakening is what happens when Christians get revived because they impact the community. They impact the world around them and then new people come 
come to Christ. Um, so this is happening in America, and it's happening across the world. And I want to give you a little CBN report on this uh, just to kind of get you up to speed, and uh, then we'll be back in the Bible. This is Asbury College. This is, it started there. Flames it's in Kentucky. from the Asbury University awakening have spread like wildfire as the Holy Spirit continues to fill students' hearts and minds across the country. Fifteen straight days of revival culminated with Asbury hosting the 200th anniversary of the National Collegiate Day of Prayer. University leaders will now move services to other locations in the central Kentucky area as part of Asbury's intention of encouraging and commissioning others to go out and share what they have experienced. Revival has spread to schools in Alabama, Kentucky, Missouri, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Virginia. And I think there's a move of God that's happening. There's a revival that's happening. And I wanted to be in the presence of God. I wanted to just be in, among believers. And um, we need it in the climate of the world today. The move of God we're seeing is not just happening in the U.S. Becker references revivals overseas and believes that what's taking place on a global scale is the beginning of the next great awakening. From my perspective, I believe it is here. The time is now. The kingdom of God is here. What should be our response? Repent and believe in the good news. Mark Martin, CBN News. Well... Um, re revival, you could, you could look at some of those pictures. Now, this is a picture of Asbury University. It's interesting. It's the third revival. It's a, it's a Christian college in the Methodist or Wesleyan tradition. Uh, it's the third time in their history since a revival has happened there that's spread across the country or at least the region. I find it very, uni uh, um, what would the word be, very uh, godlike that just as, and I'm a, my heritage is the Methodist church. And just as the Methodist church is splitting over whether the Bible is true or not in terms of issues of modern culture, at the same time, God is pouring out his spirit on a place connected with John Wesley. So I see, I see God, God at work. Um, but, but you might look at that picture and say, well, that's the way we look today. Well, how many know anybody can lift their hands? A person at gunpoint will lift their hands. You know, but yet they do have a biblical expression. The Bible says, lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. But it's a reflection of the hearts of the people. Uh, it's not just an outward thing. Some common expressions in revival. Uh, when revival happens, there seems to be a greater intensity in worship. In other words, the people, you and I, uh, worship means something more. We're not just clapping or we're not just, you know, responding, but our hearts are, are, are expressing gratitude and love for God. Um, there seems to be travailing prayer, more people coming to prayer meetings, people praying not just for their own needs, but praying for the needs of others, praying that God was pour out his spirit in other places. Uh, there seems to be a big one that we'll talk about today, repentance. A repentance from sin, a turning away from the world and ourselves and turning to God. Um, and lastly, a, a desire to see lost people saved. If there's one thing that uh, has characterized my Christian life, I, I became, I was raised in church, but how many know being raised in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger? I mean, but, but, but when it touches your heart, 
when you receive Christ. For me, it was August 15th, 1976. I just wanted everyone to experience what I experienced. And it, the exuberance came out with a little uh, extra zeal maybe when I was young, but to this day it still comes out. That's why I do what I do, both as profession and privilege uh, uh, as a minister of the gospel. But the result of a revival is the transformation of the culture, that people turn away from that which is hurtful, harmful, sinful, and turn towards God. How many know when a drug dealer gets saved, he stops making and selling meth? See, uh, if you want to get rid of racism in America, <laughs> let people get saved. Encourage the salvation experience. What we're doing across America today, it's, it's a more of a political tool about racism and money and control and government and trying to separate us into groups and all that. That's what communists do. They separate people into groups of people. How many know we are one race? We are the human race. And, and if you want to deal with racism, you, you, your, your heart changes. I've seen it in people's lives. Um, if, you're a, if you're a violent man in your home to your family and, and your, your wife's had to go to domestic violence, but she comes back and she loves you. If you get truly born again and saved, you can get help. Come on now. Jesus will help you and the Holy Spirit will help you become a loving man rather than a violent man. God changes the heart of the individual. And this is where the problem is. But how many know the world is not in need of revival? The church, the Christian, is revived. And when we're revived, when, when heaven reaches down and we reach out to heaven in a greater way, then this thing's happened. So this is kind of, uh, last week if you were here, I gave a biblical basis for this. And how many know if it doesn't have a biblical basis, it's really not worth listening to? The book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, Peter responded with Joel's prophecy as an explanation of the last days, the days in which we live. One characteristic, the spirit would be poured out, souls would be saved in addition to the signs and wonders in the heavens. But uh, uh, the question that I want to deal with this week and next week, and we started it last week, is why are believers seeking the Lord in a greater way? And this is what I mean, a greater way, whether it's we've been having Tuesday night uh, worship times at the church. Several hundred people show up just to worship. And as they told you, we won't do it this Tuesday. We're not going to make a rule out of it. But uh, the following Wednesday night, we'll do it just as a night of worship. So worship, uh, worship is, is a big part of it. And Christians are seeking the Lord in their worship, their personal worship. I'm hearing people at home. They're turning off whatever station. They're turning on K-Love radio. They're turning off the radio. They're worshiping in their car on the way to work. It just captures the heart. Well, we talked about that last week, and there's two more reasons that I want to talk about this week, that this seeking the Lord in a greater way, and the one is the word repentance. And we'll get deeply into it today, and it's not a bummer word. It's a good word. And uh, lastly, salvation for the lost. Uh, we'll talk about that. That's what believers are seeking for, to populate heaven. And next week, we're going to talk about the second coming of Christ, because I believe all this is in preparation for the coming of the Lord. So let's uh, jump into this today. It's called A Foretaste of What's to Come, and this is the second part. Now, um, the second part of why we're seeking the Lord in a greater way is, is, is we're seeking the Lord by personal repentance. <sighs> 
how many know if you're going in the wrong direction, you're not going to get closer to someone? If, if God is, you know, God is here and I'm headed in this direction, I'm not going to find him. Even if I go this way, I may be closer to him, but I'm not going to find him. I have to turn this way and go towards him. And that's what repentance is. For some, repentance starts here. This is where before you're saved. You know, you may be a good person, but you're not going towards God. And then gradually in incremental stages, we turn towards God. Well, that's what repentance is. By definition, it simply means to be sorry, sorry or remorseful for our sin. Now listen, that's number one. But in turn and follow God's ways. And the two are connected. How many know uh, uh, it's different because being sorry that you got caught? Anybody ever got caught for something and you say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll never, I'll never do it again. I'll, I'll never, you know, officer go that fast again. And, and, and I'll never spend that much money again, honey. I promise. I promise I'll never spend that much money again. Um, and we say things and we're just sorry we got caught. But genuine repentance is that I, I feel this godly sense of sorrow. It's like the Holy Spirit is convicting me that what I'm doing. And, and, and everybody else may do it, and it may be okay with them. It could be, it could be language. Uh, I mean, uh, it still is, the F word is still the, 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 the way to desensitize and, you know, to express yourself, and it's everywhere. But there's another word that's close to it, F-R-I-G, you know. I just think they're too close for me to say, you know. Am I being vague enough? It's like we get convicted and we turn towards God in this repentance thing. We follow God's ways. Repent is to be sorry, remorseful for sin, and follow God. It's a change of mind that results in a change of lifestyle. I think differently and I act differently. I treat people differently when I've repented. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7 says godly sorrow brings what? Repentance that leads to salvation. What is godly sorrow? That's God by his spirit coming to convict us. And if we will turn towards him in repentance, he will bring us salvation. That's, that includes eternal salvation, but I also believe it includes uh, an ongoing salvation. How many know there's three types or parts to salvation? My spirit is saved when I'm born again. My soul, which is my mind, my will, my attitudes, my values are being saved. And one day my body will be saved at the resurrection. So, so, so repentance is this turning, and this is where, where um, holiness comes into our life as the result. Holiness is not a bad word. Holiness simply means to be set apart to God, that I'm just, you know, God's kid, and I try to live God's way. Now, how many believe that Christians should repent? How many believe the person sitting behind you should repent more than they have thus far? So you don't even know who's back there, but it's easy to, it's easy to look at people. And so you pointed at the lady, but she looks real godly to me. <laughs> but it's easy to see it in others. It's hard to see in ourselves. But I believe Christians need to repent. Now, there's an initial repentance that turns us for salvation. 
You know, it doesn't mean that we're perfect overnight. We begin a process of change called sanctification. But uh, here's some things we need to repent from. How about if we're worldly? You say, well, what does that mean, Pastor? Is there a difference between me and the, the, the rest of the people I work with? Uh, do I listen to the same kind of music? Now, look, I'm, I'm, listen, if you like country music or rock music or whatever, that's fine. I prefer Christian music. Some Christians do listen to, and there's times that I've enjoyed some more worldly music, but I don't want to be listening to music. If, if it's country music and about my dogs running away and I'm sad, that's one thing. But if it's about my neighbor's wife coming over when the husband goes to work, that's another thing. So music can be, I mean, no dress can be worldly. I mean, listen, how many buttons, how many buttons, ladies, do you need to unbutton? I mean, is there a message? Is there a message you're trying to send? We can become worldly. Let me tell you, ma'am, you don't need to do that to be admired. And if that's what it takes to catch a man, he's not worth, worth catching. Um, but we can become worldly. Our value system, the way we do contracts at work, you know, whatever the case is. And number two, uh, we need to repent if sin gets a foothold in our life. Now, how many know everyone struggles with sin, Right. Yeah, what, what's in, what, what, what do you struggle with? <laughs> I'm just teasing. Everybody, everybody does. It's called temptation. We all struggle with sin, but when you let it get a foothold in your life, it kind of gets ingrained in there, and, and it's just about can't get rid of it. Now, I love to garden, and there's different kind of plants. Some plants, you put them in the ground, and they stay in one place. Take a rose bush. But some plants, wisteria. I planted wisteria and I have regrets about it because it throws out these little shoots and every two feet they put down a root and in every tree they get next to, they go up the tree and they look pretty for about a week. They're blooming right now. They're purple. They're gorgeous, but, but they'll kill the tree. So it's, it, it got a foothold and it takes over. We need to repent from that, obviously. Uh, how about our hearts grow cold to God? Anybody honest enough to say that there's been a time in my life where my heart's been a little cold to God? Now, I still believed I might have even, you know, gone to church, but I didn't, I, I didn't have that fire, that zeal, that, that passion for God. Um, another one, we grieve the Holy Spirit. W what does that mean? That means when the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do something and we continually say no. We, we need to repent from that. And then lastly, and this is, I think, the biggest challenge for us, is we just get busy with life. You know, I mean, listen, if you've got kids today, I mean, you better start them at three years old or two years old doing gymnastics or something if they're going to have a chance to be on the soccer team. And if your little girl wants to be a cheerleader one day, you better have her in the first grade in traveling cheerleader competitions. You understand. I mean, it's a complex, busy world. And then with inflation, come on. You can go out and buy a hamburger, get some fries and a drink, leave a tip, and spend $20 today. 
So then your discretionary money for whether it's building a church in Mexico or Bibles or whatever the case is, it, it just gets less. So, so we can just drift from God. Uh, that's this whole thing, all these things. But revival changes this. Revival gets us back on track with God. Our priorities align with his will. When we mess up, we ask for forgiveness. This fire burns in our heart. And repentance opens a door to that. Now, again, uh, let, me, let me read from the, uh, the churches of Revelation. You know, there were seven that were there. Uh, two of them uh, uh, didn't have any criticisms at all. Uh, the rest of them all had accolades. In other words, God was pleased with them. They were suffering. You know, they were standing for righteousness. You know, it's like I've, I've many times thought, man, I wish our church was doing that good. But then he would always call them to repent or turn back to him, five of the seven. Now, this is very interesting because when you read the tone uh, about the books of, of the churches of Revelation, it's different than the tone, for example, when Jesus talked about love or Peter talked about forgiveness or, the, or, or, or an epistle talks about mercy. Well, how many know to God, the love of God and the fear of God are equally important? How I many know God is a loving God, but he's also a just God? Amen. You know, and if we only want the loving God, we're going to be shocked one day when we stand before him as, as God our judge. Uh, theology is like this. Uh, some, some, ch some churches, all you hear is, 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 is God is merciful, he is loving, he is forgiving. No matter what you've done, God can forgive you. He accepts you just as you are. Is that true? Yes. Yes. But also, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. The book of Revelation talks about being an overcomer of the things that you fall short in. So it's like, it's like two sides of, an, of, of a quarter. To be legitimate, it's both. Well, this is, this is the flip side, as it were, the call for repentance. And I'm just going to read not the accolade, but I'm going to read the, 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 critic, the criticism. Uh, Revelation 2, this is the church in Ephesus, a powerful church. The book of Ephesians was written to it. Um, it says, uh, Jesus said... I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Other translations say you've left your first love. I like the NLT on this because we're not sure if he's talking about God or people. But it, said, it says that you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Uh, maybe there was a time, I don't know, let's say in your life that uh, you had a, a deep burden for, I don't know, a, 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 a broken people. I don't know what it was, whether it's someone from a broken marriage or someone that's homeless or, or somebody that's struggling with addictive behaviors and you came out of that lifestyle and, uh, or that experience and you have compassion and you, you really help them, you even do it for a few years, but then you wake up one day and say, eh, I'm tired of fooling with that. Look, if you're not going to help yourself, I'm not going to help you. I mean, you lost something. It, it could be a love for God. Maybe there was a time in your life where, where you had a, a passion and a zeal and you, you couldn't wait to read your Bible every day. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was just, you know, like brushing your teeth. I mean, reading your Bible and, and you wanted to do it. It was, it, was, it was a good thing to do. But then somehow you woke up one day and uh, you can't even remember the last time you read your Bible. I mean, this can, this can happen. Uh, so you've left your first love. Notice what he says. He says, remember from where you have fallen. And what do you do? Repent. Repent. See, it, this word is change. 
do the works you did at first. Remember from where you've fallen, repent, do the works you did at first. In other words, we want this thing called revival in the presence of God, that no matter what we're doing or where we're going, that it's just going to take us over and it's just going to make us, you know, super saints. But it's not just God doing his part. We have to turn towards him. We have to acknowledge that what we've done was wrong and God comes towards us. We have to begin to do those things again, whether it's picking up our Bibles, sharing our faith, investing our money in God's kingdom, whatever it was, we have to re-engage with God. And then we meet God like that. Come on now. And his presence, it's just like the Christian life is, is working. Here's a second church, the church in Sardis, uh, Revelation chapter three, it's verse one. I know what you do. Now, I pause when I read that because that can be a scary thought sometimes. Do you want anybody to know what you do all the time? Did you know when you drove, or do you know right now there's cameras in this sanctuary that are watching you? They know every one of you that are playing on your iPhones right now. <laughs> they know every one of you that have already put your, your, your order in for lunch. There was cameras when you drove in the parking lot, but you, 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 but how many know if you know they're there, you act different. That's why we've got, you know, so many in the kids area because we want people to behave and not hurt kids. If somebody's coming in to try to do danger or violence in this church, not only do they need an entry plan and an exit plan, they want to know where the cameras are so they can remain hidden. But God says, I know all that you do. I know what you do. And here's, this is their reputation. People say you're alive. People say that you're a good Christian. People say, I wish I was a Christian like you. But Jesus looked at the heart and said, you're really dead. You have outward religious form like the Pharisee. And what did he say? Wake up. Say it with me. Wake up. That's an imperative. That's something that's in our power. We're not just helpless here waiting for God to do this to us, but we can re-engage. We can, we can reorient ourselves, strengthen what you have before it dies completely. And this makes me sad. Uh, he said, I found uh, in what you're doing is less than what God wants. My life has changed as I've gotten older. I, 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 I've, I've tried to live more by the great commandment, love the Lord with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul and all my strength. And as first John says, I don't do this because I have to, it's because I want to. Well, don't forget what you've heard, obey it. And here it is, change your hearts and lives. New King James says, repent. And that's an imperative. You remember English, how many remember uh, high school English classes? Did anybody just really love them? How many people were glad that class was over? And you can say, ain't all you want to, or, or shall it and shouldn't, and you know, wish to whatever. But, but uh, this, uh, as an English teacher here, if I can for just a moment, uh, obey it, change your hearts and lives. That's an imperative. The implicit subject is you. You change your heart. If your heart is doing this way because you feel like it, make a decision and turn towards God because God wants to come towards you. It's an illusion if we live by feelings. It's a choice. 
This last one, Laodicea. Now, this is the sad one because this church has no positive commendation at all. Revelation 3.16, you are like lukewarm water. Neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Have you ever been working outdoors and it's really hot? Maybe you've been playing on the sports field or playing ball or whatever the case is. Super hot outside. You need a drink of water. How many of you want something cold? If you drink something lukewarm that was left over from last week in the cooler, your body needs the liquid, but you want to spit it out. Well, they understood this because their water system came from, I don't know if it was a spring or a, a dam or whatever, but it came through an aqueduct into their city. And as it traveled, the water would become lukewarm. And Jesus, and, and it's just like spit you out of my mouth. Uh, that's a, that's, and, and here's verse 17. They're deceived. You say, I'm rich. Now, this is referring to material prosperity, I, I think. I'm rich. I've got everything I want. I don't need a thing. God has blessed me. Look at my life. God has blessed me with a new car, a this, a bigger, uh, you know, a real, not a fake. Uh, you know, God, God's blessing me. I feel good about life. I've got everything I want. I'm living the good life. And I'm not saying that's bad in and of itself, but I'm saying they lost God in the process. You don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, and poor. How can they be rich and poor? They're poor spiritually. In their pursuit of their material world, they lost God. You say, I'm rich. You don't need a thing, but you're poor, blind, and naked. And then this wonderful thing about God, I correct and discipline everyone I love. Can you say, thank God for that? And maybe you feel a little of the Holy Spirit that voice within my voice because I'm not trying to beat you up here I'm just trying to tell you the truth to get you in this position where you do this and God does this maybe that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you uh, now verse 19 uh, I correct and discipline those I love but this is the pivotal point of the passage be diligent and turn from your indifference or your lack of interest and repent Turn from your lack of interest. That's somebody that says, I don't feel like going to church. And I'm not knocking you if you're watching online. We are honored that you're here. We're glad this is a part of your life. But I just don't feel like going to church. I'd, I'd, I'd rather go fishing. I'd rather go hunting. I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk to people about Jesus. They'd laugh at me. It'd be an embarrassment. I don't have enough money today to, whatever, to tithe or to help them build a church or whatever. I, I, I'll do that one day. You just become indifferent. And this is something that's scary because outwardly everything is good, but inwardly we've drifted from God. I want us to take just a minute because this is Jesus speaking to these churches. He wants all believers to turn our hearts back to God. Now, I want you to bow your head just a moment. And if you're watching online, won't you do the same? because I want to leave this subject. I know this is a little bit of a downer, but this is, this is what gets you in position for a personal revival. And I want you to just ask the Lord, say, Lord, is there something in my life that I need to repent from? Because I dare say in the last few minutes, things have been coming to your mind, but you need to make a decision. Jesus did not say he's going to automatically change us 
Jesus says, turn around and go my ways because you'll find my ways are better than yours. Now, I'm going to take just a minute now and pray. Keep your heads bowed just a moment. This is a private moment, you and God. But if there's something the Holy Spirit's put his finger on today that you need to repent from, would you just lift your hand right now? Just lift your hand. That's right. It's just between you and God, nobody else, nobody's business. Yeah. Lord, our hands are lifted all over the building because repentance, I think, probably is a lifelong process. We try to get on the path. We get off of it. But what we're saying today is, whether we lifted our hand or not, we want to walk on the narrow path that leads to life. We want to receive accolades from you, not criticism. We want to love you with all of our heart and not just part of it. Would you just slip your hands to heaven a moment out of, let's just call it helplessness, and say, Holy Spirit, some of this stuff is too strong for me. I have fought it for years or decades. It's been part of my family's heritage. It's almost like a curse. I need you to help me because it appeals to my own, my own lust, my passions, my, my, my feelings. I want you to help me in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. All right. This is happening. Where revival happens, this happens. Let me give you a third thing today, and then we'll wrap her up for today. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the second coming of Christ. But the second, or this, point number three, Christians are seeking the Lord for lost people to turn to God and for a spiritual awakening to come to America. Um, Jonah chapter three. My statement is this. Lost souls matter to God. Or people away from God matter to God. People that are not saved, people that don't have relationship, they matter. Let me read to you Jonah chapter 3, and we don't have time to go in too much of Jonah, but let's just call him a reluctant prophet. He's going to prophesy to the people that live in Nineveh. Nineveh is where the Assyrians are. Other prophets have prophesied that one day they're going to come and be God's instrument of judgment against Israel. So the last thing Jonah wanted was to God to bless these people. So he ran away. You know the story. And he's on a boat and they're going through the med and a storm comes. And Jonah said, it's my fault. And they threw him in the water and a whale swallowed him. You say, preacher, surely you don't believe a whale swallowed him. And he lived inside it without air. Well, I happen to believe that the same God that puts oxygen in the air in this room is the same God that could put oxygen in a whale and can make his stomach big enough and could come on now and navigate him such as it spits him out right at Nineveh. Listen, he's God. He created it all. So this second time around, he obeys the Lord's command. He goes to Nineveh and he shouted to the crowds. Now, Chapter 4 says there's 120,000 people that live there. And he, he said eight words. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. He just announced judgment. That's all he said. Forty days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And it's like everything changed. It was like God's word came down, and it came so strong and so passionate that people turned, and they turned back to God. Listen to what happened. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. It's like when you speak John 3.16, they believe your message. The people in Nineveh believe they declared a fast. They put on sackcloth. This was an outward sign of their inner repentance. They were sorry about their sin. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he sent this decree throughout the city. 
Everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop their violence. Can you imagine Mr. Biden doing that first on a personal level for he, his family, his administration, and others for the wrong that they've done? And I'm not saying they're all wrong, so don't get me political just a minute. But don't you think that would be a pretty amazing thing if he said, I am sorry for funding abortion. I am sorry for undermining traditional marriage. I am sorry for pushing, sexualizing children in schools. I am sorry for breaking, allowing laws to be broken and not enforce them. I'm sorry for allowing bribery to continue. I'm sorry. I'd listen to that. Well, that's the, uh, this is the same kind of thing. Turn from your evil. That's repenting. Stop your violence. Perhaps God will hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw how they put a stop to their evil ways, he didn't carry out the destruction he threatened. Why? Because they simply repented. You say, what happened in this little story, Pastor, or this historical account? A reluctant believer named Jonah simply said eight words and it was so anointed by the Holy Spirit that the people repented and it changed the landscape of the community for a long period of time. Now, that's a biblical account. Uh, let me read an account to you of how a spiritual awakening can change the culture. If you've ever heard of the Wales Revival, most of us have not. It's missing in our education, sadly. But it was 1904. Uh, it was the largest Christian revival in the 20th century. Now, think about it. 1900 to, you know, whatever, 1999, it was the largest revival in a hundred-year period. Let me read what happened when this revival came. All over the country, testimonies of hardened souls receiving salvation, lives being changed were the talk of the town. Stories of, uh, of, of uh, profanity silenced. Anybody working in an environment where there's a lot of cussing? I used to, and I was a kid, lived on a farm. That's just how you got the stuff done. You cussed it. <laughs> Profanity silence. Theaters were deserted. Now, I'm not trying to put the movie theater business. I'm just saying people in Wales would rather go to church where the Holy Spirit was moving than they would or, or anywhere else. Now, listen to this. True story. Courts were abandoned because there was a lack of crime. Bars shut down, commonplace, uh, even football matches. And these are not things that are wrong or bad. People were just going where the presence, the visitation of God was happening. And they were spending their money on buying as many pocket Bibles as they could. And there was even a story told of how horses and mines were confused. The mules, the horses, uh, these, these old rough, tough guys that worked in the coal mine, before they got saved, they'd get that horse to giddy up by, you know, by cussing at it. And they would, they would, they would use sticks and hit them and kick them. And, you know, that's how they got the mule to act right. Well, guess what? When they got saved, they quit cussing and they quit smacking the mule with the stick and the mule wouldn't do anything. This is a true story. It changes the fabric of the culture. And this is something that God wants to do and it seems to be doing, but he wants us to do our part and get in position with him. Let me talk about this revival just a little bit and make it very personal. Um, again, it began in, they think, uh, historians in a town called New Quay. And the preacher was named Flory Evans. And he had one message he simply said, I love Jesus with all my heart. 
And revival was a localized event. Then there was a young man. I don't know if he was a Christian or, or whether he was converted during the revival. His name was Evan Roberts. He began to go to these revival meetings. And he worked in the coal mines. And after he went to some of these meetings, it, it, history records that he would sit down on his break and read his Bible. And after a while, and I say this because every one of us could be an Evan Roberts in our sphere of influence. And he came to a place where he said, listen, I'm just going to go out. I'm going to go serve the Lord as, as a revivalist. He got three months of Bible training. He didn't have a PhD. And he literally went out and the Welsh revival flourished. And let me tell you how far it went. It influenced Britain, Scandinavia, Europe, North America, India, Africa, uh, and uh, Latin America. You say, how in the world could that happen? Because one man got touched by the fire of God. Come on now. One woman gets touched by the fire of God. And they're not satisfied with this or that. They want that. And then they want the Lord to direct the show. And I'm telling you, listen, your, your pulpit may never be Latin America. It may not be Africa. But you've got a sphere of influence. It is the place where you work. It is the ball team you coach. It is the classroom that you teach. Come on now. It is the hospital that you work in. It is the Cooper Tire plant that you work in. It is the neighborhood that you live in. It is the family you have Thanksgiving dinner with. I'm telling you, you and I can be a catalyst for revival, a catalyst for shaking, shaking our community shaking our nation, shaking the world because somebody simply repented, got a heart for souls and began to do what God told them to do. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord.